pledge allegiance to the band. It may perhaps discourage you, unless of your kidney, or infected with this vicious virus, that you'll be ordered to pay a fine of 75 pounds. I'll pay now, if you don't Just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder. These guys would have it. Welcome to Movies That Rock, a rock and roll journey through cinema. I'm your host, Josh Fitzgerald, and today I have in his Movies That Rock debut, a friend of mine I've known for a little while now through our movie clubs and our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame mock committee meetings. <laughs> this is my buddy, Darren Hines. <laughs> How you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing just fine, considering we've been you know, quarantined for about six <laughs> months now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time has flown and crawled at the same time. It has. It has. Time, it, it might not even exist, actually. <laughs> it's a flat circle. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks for, for coming on and doing this. I was, uh, We're doing a movie that I've been wanting to see for a while, so I was hoping that somebody would want to come on and do this with me. Oh, absolutely. My name's Darren. I'm from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I originally grew up in a small town about 20 miles north of here called Del Rapids. Uh, lived in South Dakota pretty much my entire life. Um, I mean, yeah, actually lived. I've never lived outside of the state. I uh, lived in Pierre, the state capital, for about 11 years while I was working. And then they let me move back to Sioux Falls. So uh, I like that a, a lot better, honestly. South Dakota is kind of it's a place that we, you don't hear about all that much. Um, mm. it's, it's So I'm thinking like is Sioux Falls, is it like a big city? Is it medium size? Is it more rural? I'm just kind of just to wrap my head around what that's what it's like there. Well, Sioux Falls is the biggest city in South Dakota. It's got about 190,000 people living in it right now. Um, wow, okay. Biggest city until you get to like the Twin Cities or Omaha. So Okay. I mean, it's still a small town compared to like someplace like New York or uh, Philadelphia or Chicago or Los Angeles or something like that. But uh, yeah. considering the size of the rest of the towns, I think the second biggest city in um, South Dakota, Rapid City, only has like 70,000 people. So, Oh, wow. You know, okay. So it's like more than double. Yeah, yeah basically <laughs> yeah. suburbs. Um, basically suburbs around um, the, the big city areas. <laughs> I was wondering if South Dakota was even considered, you know, quote, Midwest. It is and it isn't. Um, South Dakota is kind of a unique place. Um, we divide it basically East River versus West River. And the East mm. River has more of a uh, agricultural, um, like uh, the farming agriculture, where our culture mm. is very much similar to Iowa or Minnesota, whereas like West River is very much uh, ranching and um, that sort of um, Western mentality that's very much more like Montana or Wyoming. So. That's actually kind of an interesting segue into the artist that we're going to focus on today, which is Bruce Springsteen, who kind of is known for being, you know, kind of an everyman. And, and he really kind of speaks for, you know, a lot of blue collar America mm -hmm. and, and um, things like that. Was that was that something that connected you, you with Bruce Springsteen's music or, or was it something a little bit more than that? Um, honestly, I am more of a city mouse myself than like the country mouse type. Um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely i mean i grew up in a small town so there's always going to be that kind of you know admiration for that lifestyle but it's it's very slow for somebody like me and i mm -hmm. i really appreciate more of the life in at least what we consider a, a big city yeah. um and when I, you know 
if I get to like the twin cities, it's too fast for me and I'd have to adjust to it, but, um, right, something, right. um, something more my speed. Um, Springsteen is, he's blue collar and he's, you know, he relates to small town, but not quite so specifically small town as like, say Mellencamp or somebody like that. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. He's very much somebody who represents like quote, the little guy, somebody mm-hmm. who's, singing songs about the powerless people who are um being uh uh forgotten or abused by um the rich and the powerful so i guess i can connect to that but it's just a general sense that he's just kind of um he's kind of an artist who's like a a working man's type of artist he's not an artsy type of artist like he's not the talking heads but he's more um He's more like Woody Guthrie or someone from the folk mm-hmm. tradition. Yeah, definitely. Very singer-songwriter oh, yeah. esque sensibility. When did you first get into Springsteen? Um probably mid eighties or so when, you know, Born in the USA was absolutely everywhere. Later, like in the nineties, I would just when I started learning a lot about music, Bruce Springsteen was just this, you know, kind of huge figure and he was kinda dormant for a large part of the 90s he wasn't as big as he was i mean he was still releasing like human touch or something like that or lucky town but those weren't like the huge albums and then he had his huge tremendous resurgence um after 9-11 when he released the rising which is about 9-11 and um that's a very highly regarded album Mm, yes i love that album very much but um when i really came across springsteen it was probably my classic rock phase um, late in uh, high school, around 1997, when all of the um, all the alternative bands that I really loved, um, uh, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, when they all started to break up, other than Pearl Jam, a lot of the musical landscape, at least from like the rock and hard rock that was on the radio, kind of turned south in a <laughs> yeah. really bad way, and very yeah. quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, all of a sudden it went from you know, Soundgarden blow up the outside to Limp Biscuit break stuff. I'm like, yeah, it's not really for me. Limp so Biscuit I... has come up on this podcast <laughs> far more often than I care to admit. Especially since they don't have a movie. Uh, right, exactly. But, um, but you know, so Let's I kind of... keep it that way. Uh, yes, that's fine by me. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of switched. I switched from like the ro- the modern rock alternative rock station over to classic rock station. So... I heard a lot of, um, or, oh, he gets played, Springsteen, obviously, a lot of classic rock airplay, especially, you know, in the, the rural areas, because he's Absolutely. an artist who can connect to both both groups of people, both classic rock fans and somebody who's, um, uh, you know, blue collar or um, from a rural area or a right. kind of distant locale. It, that's one of the great enigmas of the Bruce Springsteen concept is that he connects with a lot of rural america but politically and socially he's incredibly left-leaning which is not something that is normally associated with you know that pocket of america if you know shall we say i'm trying to be diplomatic about how i word this so that but it's kind of that that dichotomy is very interesting in in the legacy of bruce springsteen oh yeah um well I, i don't know if i don't know if you had any you know thoughts on that it just it's always been very curious to me well i you know 
the rural areas in the Midwest get um, the reputation that they get because they usually vote Republican, at least in the last 40 or 50 years or so. Yeah. But even in the like the reddest of red states, you still have three or four out of 10 people who are, uh, well, Democrats or Republicans are not Republicans, but Democrats or liberal or left leaning people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those those groups do exist. And I would say that the liberalism that you find in the Midwest is different than the liberalism you'd find in like an East Coast big city. That makes uh, sense. Rural, yeah. rural versus urban is a very huge dichotomy as far as like politics and how things go. But people forget that um, up until like the Reagan era, the Midwest and even Southern states were actually had big, large pockets of Democratic voters. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Up until 2004, South Dakota actually had two senators and our only state rep- uh, House of Representatives member were actually Democrats. But on the other hand, we haven't elected a Democratic governor since like 1960 or so okay (laughs) we we came very close it was like within a percentage point or so in the most recent election right that's fascinating for me because it's so easy to forget about the whole spectrum Mm. of both the political parties you know like it's it's so easy to fixate especially now that we're in such a divided state that you know it's easy to remember or or it's easy to think of it as you know prescribing each political party is just one way and just the other way. Well, how people vote really versus like how people vote isn't always what they think either. True. Like, yeah. um, if you have a discussion with someone in the Midwest about universal health care, they will probably agree with you on most points. Mm-hmm. They just don't like that it's like a liberal idea because the, the the term liberal or Democrat has been, you know, the victim of 40 years of slander on pretty much every radio station that covers politics. And, you know, there's an entire yeah, news network. And um, there aren't the, uh, the the right's done a much better job of getting their message on the airwaves than the left ever has. Hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like you're brainwashed yeah. by four decades of propaganda and you can't, you know. Right, you would right. be surprised. So just dragging, dragging those words in that yeah. name through the mud, basically. Now, now Democrats don't even want to call themselves liberals. Right, right. Because there's so much baggage connected to it. Yeah, and it's all uh, nonsense, I guess. I'm not sure right, right. whether or not we can swear on this uh, podcast. Oh, please. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's bullshit then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that we have an explicit tag. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> now that we're all on that episodes. corner of the internet. Right, right. <laughs> Forever. Right, right. <laughs> Forever stayed, yes. <laughs> and this, like, you're right. And just on like a smaller scale too, as far as politics, I guess you will. Mm-hmm. I always think of a good example being, you know, born in the USA, mm-hmm. which a lot of people when they don't really know the song, will automatically be like, oh, it's you know, right wing yeah. propaganda. You know, mm-hmm. it's patriotic, and it it is a patriotic song, but oh, yes. certainly not in the way that a lot of you know a lot of the knee-jerk reactions to it would have you assume yeah it's uh it's very much uh in the woody guthrie tradition of folk music and like uh, this land is our land right uh, right it's been co-opted from time to time but especially born in the usa it's because people think that born in the usa is uh you know uh is like you said it's like right-wing propaganda type song because first of all they only hear the chorus and second right. of all, Reagan used it prominently exactly. in his reelection campaign in 84. Right. And he didn't have permission to do it. It, it, it infuriates uh, Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and because if there's anybody that, who was yeah. not going to vote for Reagan, it was Bruce Springsteen. Oh no, he's <laughs> he, he he said it's like um, something. His, his famous quote about Bruce Springsteen, Reagan's, was like something along the lines of the, the proud American who sings songs about life in my America. And it's like, well, yeah, he does, but it's not what you think it means. Right. Clearly you haven't actually bought the album and looked through the lyrics <laughs> oh, no. to, to understand what he's trying to say. And Cause yeah, it's a really yeah. searing indictment mm. of America. Oh, every chorus is about, you know, the, the fallout of America after Vietnam and the way that veterans were treated and the way that um, mm. the, the working class was, basically abandoned and left behind i mean it's a song about reagan's america but it's a song about reagan's america as a you know a as a symptom of what he right yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah it's 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 yeah very it's the, very really beautiful brutal. and bizarre irony i yeah I've, I've seen it described as an un-american song or unpatriotic and i you know based on who was saying it it was some right-wing pundit and you know their version of what patriotism would be I would say that, yeah, it would be, honestly. Yeah, that's true. If you're looking at it through that lens, it's yeah. definitely. It's an Oliver Stone movie as, as, a, as a song. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it, an yeah. American thing, but that doesn't mean it's like in favor of what we're doing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's still a lot of that um, perception about Springsteen that still follows him to this day. And I think really it's a movie like Blinded by the Light, which is what we're covering today really does a good job of of breaking that glass ceiling and and getting people to realize no he's really not what you think he is you know he's really right. has different different ideas and um a different viewpoint than what, mm -hmm. what i think people automatically assume him to be which is kind of which is kind of mm. interesting and cool oh yeah um so Going going back to like to the fandom piece, I'm going to preface this by saying this might be a little bit unfair on my part because I'm <laughs> still a Springsteen novice. I'm still very mm -hmm. much a Springsteen novice. Um, I'll just really quickly give kind of a history of of my knowledge of his music. Obviously, I know all the hits. I grew up with them, hearing them on the radio all the time. Um, also, when I was younger, my dad bought a vinyl copy of his first album with the E Street Band mm. and um, and played that all the time. And that was a real. I really love that album. That's an mm. excellent excellent piece of kind of yes. jazz pop rock kind of melding it's which is it's really great and there's a lot of good um melodies and good jamming on there and we should also give a shout out to the e street band who doesn't really get mm -hmm. mentioned in the movie at all no. but what a, what a tight tight group of musicians they are yeah absolutely and i i'm gonna fully admit though that i was definitely of that mindset <laughs> that springsteen was kind of just as this patriotic dude who sang lee greenwood like songs oh that, good lord <laughs> you know, man I know, without really understanding the full idea you know what like, i mean like when did you stop thinking that um well i will okay well probably like i would say through high school and even through a lot of college i was <laughs> not into him and also to another thing that i wasn't into was the real I always associated him with like as a heartthrob of the soccer mom community. And I'm sorry to any, any people who might be considered in that demographic who might be hearing this, but you know, the tight jeans. And I was just like, that's so silly. Why would you, he's not that attractive. Oh, Josh, <laughs> you're thinking of, of journey. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. He was kind of, <laughs> he filled the journey void for me for a while. And then it was, <laughs> and then it was after I kind of started following the rock hall and, and becoming more of like, um, looking into the more academic side of rock music 
and seeing his name come up on the classic albums list and classic songs list. And I, it kind of struck a chord with me like, Hmm, maybe he's a little, maybe there's a little bit more to this than I thought. And I had started hearing things from people about how good some of his albums were specifically tunnel of love was an album that was Hmm. frequently recommended to me that people really enjoyed. Um, And so I listened to it and I really liked it. And so that kind of opened the doors for me a little bit more and, started to help me appreciate what he did in a much more global sense. Hmm. So that that's kind of my my two cents on, or that's kind of my history and background behind my Bruce Springsteen fandom, if you will. Okay. That was the Gateway album. Did you have a Gateway album, or was it just kind of a um, um, over the course of time situation? Partially over the course of time, but, you know, growing up in the 80s, born in the USA is ubiquitous. I mean, those songs are, oh, yeah. are were everywhere. Yeah. Um uh, that's probably my favorite Springsteen album. Um, if you're talking about what I would recommend, Born to Run and The Rising are definitely his, you know, if those three albums, mm-hmm. that's you're going to get a sense. If you listen to those in chronological order, you're going to get the sense of who Bruce Springsteen really is. Yeah. And, um, and he's been pretty consistent. I mean, you know, as far as like critically acclaimed and like actually making great albums, he's still doing that pretty close to these days. The, to this day is yeah his last album came out last year yeah and like i'd say like his last maybe three albums or so have gotten a lot of acclaim oh yeah which is really cool for somebody in that um Mm -hmm. point of his career to still be putting out really vital and it's very unusual yeah yeah Yeah. there's only a handful of artists that can you know stick around for 30 or 40 years like uh you're talking dylan or um like i said there aren't very many (laughs) Right. And even Dylan, like he's, he had a nadir. Yeah. He had a period from like the mid eighties until 2001 where he, he just was, he didn't feel it anymore. Like, right. And that, right. That, that's when I actually got to see him in concert was like 2000 or so, like mm-hmm. right before he released his uh, modern time. I think it was modern times in 2001. Or it was his it's something about comeback. time, time out of mind, or something like time that. out of mind. There we go. Yeah. That was the big 2001. Yeah, yeah. So, but he, he did have that down period, and Bruce had a, a little bit of a down period when he wasn't with the E Street Band. But I mean, he still mm-hmm. released you know great albums, but I wouldn't put mm-hmm. them up on the same level as those. Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah. The E Street Band is really, like I said, they they're kind of a secret weapon. Yeah, to, to a lot of his. Um, I don't want to say his success, but to a lot of his um, really great music, I think it goes and from good to great when he's got them working, when he's working with them. Yeah. 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 That's a really good way of putting it. Like I had mentioned earlier when we were off mic, it's a tradition here at the movies at rock podcast <laughs> to always do a, a top three favorite songs of the, whatever artists that we're discussing today. So I'm going to do that, but I also want to just say to the listeners, normally I would, when we would list a song, I would put a sound clip of the song into the podcast. However, I'm not going to be doing that anymore because there's been such a clampdown on copyright laws and things like that, that I, I, the last thing I need right now is like a cease and desist. So I think I'm going to <laughs> not be doing that. So if you want to hear the songs, you can just go to YouTube and find them yourself. <laughs> if you can find this podcast, you can find the songs we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, Josh, we can just do a sing along if you want <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I, I have a, a mandolin sitting in my closet right here that I've never touched. 
Uh, Bruce Springsteen, very famous mandolin artist. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, it's like we're not covering Sting, buddy. <laughs> Sting or Rod Stewart? Early Rod Sting, Stewart? Yeah, early Rod Stewart. <laughs> like um, Maggie May mandolin. Oh, he's been playing the mandolin. Oh, that's like the whole that whole album is oh. just a wash with mandolins. Yeah, interesting. I thought that'd be like more something he'd get into when he started doing all those standards albums. No, that's more like alto sax. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a musician. I don't really know much about instruments specifically. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't prepare anything, so that's off the okay. Top I, did, of my I didn't want head. you to. So. Okay. No problem. <laughs> off the top of my head, top three Springsteen songs. I would say, number three, I would go with Badlands. Oh, good. It's one. got that yeah. that uh, the ones who have a notion that particular that the ones who have a notion a notion deep inside and then that build up and build up and build up and then just screaming badlands is just spine tingling man yeah it really Love is that. that album darkness at the edge of town was really a breakthrough for him wasn't it uh darkness came after born to run though born to run was his oh true 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 yeah i got him i got him kind of mixed up that's a good point yeah um, it kind of gets forgotten because it's between born to run and um uh born in the usa but yeah that yeah. is an excellent album. Um, uh, what was the other one after that? It's, I think it's... There's The River, I the think, River. was right after it. Yeah. The River was another huge hit. Uh, that was another huge album. Uh, Nebraska mm -hmm. is great from a singer-songwriter point of view, but um, it didn't have any like hit singles, so it right. kind of, you know it gets critical acclaim, but uh, not a lot of airplay. Yeah. Uh, number two is actually a very recent song from 2002 album. Uh, it's called Death to My Hometown. Hmm. it's a uh protest song yeah it's a protest song basically about um robber baron modern robber barons who are um destroying and looting small towns oh wow yeah so it'd be like well corporate interest but also like the walmarts of the of the world kind of and wow. um that song coming from an artist you know has been around that long I mean, and it was right in 2012. So it's the midst of the uh, the Bush administration. Okay. And um, so that is one of the better protest songs um, in recent memory, in my opinion. I don't know that one. I'm going to have to download it when mm. we're done. You should definitely check that one out. It's yeah. on uh, it's on Wrecking Ball, I believe. Okay. I just check. listened to that song this morning, the Wrecking Ball song. The, not ah. the, not the Miley Cyrus, you know, no, swinging back no, and forth, not. licking a hammer version. No, but that whole album is fantastic as well. Mm -hmm. um, we take care of our own land of hope and dreams, death to my hometown. And yeah, like you said, Wrecking Ball is fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. then my number one song is one of the great classic rock and great rock songs of all time, Born to Run. Yes. Yeah. That's just. What an anthem. Yeah. That is like, that is a, a movie as a song. That's a good just, way of putting it. Yeah. 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 It's just the scope and the scale. And um, he has that, he has the songwriter talent where he can basically write like a short story as one of his songs. Um, right. A lot, of, a lot of people think that they can do that and they don't quite yeah. pull it off. <laughs> I mean, not many people have successfully done that. I mean, right. you need like the more obscure singer songwriters have been able to do it, but Springsteen and Dylan are probably the best at it. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, Born to Run is just, I mean, it's all-time classic, top five rock songs ever written, in my opinion. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I never with that album, I never really got into Thunder Road all that much, and that one oh. gets a lot of acclaim too. But, oh, but Born I, I, to yeah. Run, yeah, Born to Run, I, I definitely can get behind. That one's great. Yeah, Thunder Road would probably be top five for me. Yeah. Okay. I am. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I never got emotionally involved in that one as much mm-hmm. as I did with Born to Run. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's still a good song, no doubt. Yeah. He's got he's got so so many great songs that you know, mm-hmm. just accumulate after he's been around as long as he has and as consistent right. as he's been, you know, like more modern songs like The Wrestler or something like that, just character pieces or other short stories or something older like The River, yeah, which is very depressing, but right. <laughs> very much a lot of what people's lives are in their certain situations and they're not necessarily the type of lives that you hear about in your average pop song. Um, another artist that comes to mind that, that can also kind of pull this off well too, is Tom Waits. Yes. I would say when I was listening to, to some of um, Bruce's music, I kind of had some Tom Waits echoes in there a little bit, which is sort of an offbeat artist, but I don't think they're that dissimilar in a lot of ways, particularly as far as like the short stories and things like that go. Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, Tom doesn't have the commercial appeal that Springsteen does. Uh, he just right. doesn't really have the pop sensibility, I think. Um, yeah. probably So he doesn't really get like the airplay or the or anything like that. But yeah, he is very much a brilliant singer-songwriter and um, very much uh, iconic style of singing and presentation mm-hmm. that um, makes him you know, one of the great artists, if not one of the most appreciated. Absolutely. He's definitely um, one of those artists, artists. Yeah, de- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so for my, my top three, I'm going to go, and again, I have a much more limited knowledge of his music. So I'm just kind of going off the ones that I've, you know, that I've either grown up with or that I've heard recently and checking his music out. My number three is sticking again to the Born to Run album, and I got to go with 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Yeah. That is a jam. I love that song. Mm. And it's a song that I knew for many, many, many years and just never made the connection of what the song was and even that it was Bruce Springsteen and I always enjoyed it. And then when I when I saw it on the track listing and I, and I listened to it, I was like, oh, that's what that song is. That's a good one. If you but, want another similar E Street Band song, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rosalita. Rosalita was my number two. <laughs> ah! Well, shit, man. <laughs> yep. Sorry to steal your thunder. <laughs> no, no, that's I'm I'm glad you stole my thunder. That's perfect. <laughs> that was from that album that I grew up with. Um, ah, that I all the time. Yeah, so. I wasn't sure if that was on the first album or the second. Yep. Yeah, that was the first one. That that one is one of them that's just ingrained in me that I I just absolutely love. Epic. Yeah, and that one really really shows off the E Street Band and all its in mm-hmm. top form. Absolutely. Yep. And my number one is I got to go with a song from Born in the USA, which was a really commercial album and a really commercial song. But I absolutely love I'm on Fire. Ah, it's kind of a to use a bad pun, a smoldering <laughs> pop song. <laughs> um, hey, little girl, it's your daddy home. Did he go and leave you all alone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that whole thing. But it's just something yeah, I don't know. Wow. I just like the 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 uh, the mood of the song, I think, is really yeah. just very mesmerizing. And, Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, obviously, somewhat problematic lyrics aside. <laughs> well, I mean, little girl doesn't necessarily mean little girl. <laughs> That's true. It's not like it's not like Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. Oh, you know, God. Girl, get out of my mind. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> You're 16. Oh, so many so many bad examples of that sort of thing that right 
why would you think that was acceptable? Or the worst thing is, is that it probably was acceptable at the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, have you ever gotten to see Springsteen in concert? I have not. He has never played in Sioux Falls, to Mm. my knowledge. And um, he's played in, I think, Fargo. Um, But I've never actually seen a concert up in Fargo. Um, he did play a concert at the Twin Cities a couple of years ago, but there's two things about it. One, it was in like the middle of February, which is a nightmare for travel plans because yeah, it might be nice, but it might also be the middle of an ice storm and you know, yeah, no sense in spending $300 on a ticket and booking a hotel room and then finding out you can't go. Right. <laughs> but, um, the other factor is, is that. He happened to be on a tour where he was playing the River Double album in mm-hmm. its entirety. And if I wanted to go see him, I would want to go see it where it was like a regular tour concert where he's like playing music from throughout his career and focusing on his newer stuff. Right, right. So, I mean, something special like that, it would be cool and all, but <laughs> not as cool. So I am right. hoping that someday he might come to South Dakota. Uh, we have a we have a new uh, venue um, a premier center um, that's like the renovated arena, but it has gotten some of the biggest name acts in music. Wow. Like we've gotten Metallica and no kidding. Um, wow. uh, the Foo Fighters played there. Hmm. And um, a couple of years back, Garth Brooks basically had like um, a two week um, stint where it started out as one concert, but the tickets sold out in like 15 minutes. Oh, so no he way. just kept, he kept adding more and more dates and it ended up, he ended up playing like 12 show or 14 shows over 12 days or something. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. People, people from all around came, people would drive like five or 600 miles to see him. Cause you know, Garth Brooks is like the biggest recording mm-hmm. artist um, in the area. So yeah. I'm hoping that someday Bruce Springsteen will show up and uh, play a concert there. I mean, fingers crossed, but I mean, if he can play the Fargo Dome, this is a similar venue. So I right. think he can possible. play Sioux Falls. Yeah, he could. Well, not we, we before the Premier Center, we didn't have much for concerts because we didn't have a particularly good venue scene. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't have um, the arena was like the biggest venue, but it was run down and hadn't been renovated in a couple of decades. Ah, gotcha. So um, this is they tore that down and they built the premier center there. And since then, we've gotten well, we used to get uh, seven or eight big concerts a year. Wow. Yeah, they used hopefully, to do a pretty good job. COVID, everything will, you know, be better hopefully. than ever, you know? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I had like you know, COVID cost me like, I don't know. 10 concerts probably yeah concert you know canceled left and right it's just like all right which is one of the which was going to be the next one to fall it's like well i mean it did not take it didn't take them long to cancel the journey pretenders concert because they're all in their 60s so that's true yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) they would be the first ones to uh contract something terrible yeah but yeah you know we had slayer we had slayer stop here on their farewell tour no kidding (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they played with uh, they played with Primus, um, wow. the the lead singer of Pantera, and um, Ministry. That's a bill. Holy cow! Yeah, and there's huh. another one. Uh, one of the concerts that got canceled was Lamb of God and Megadeth. Oh, that would have been a good one. That would have been fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, I've never I've never seen the boss either. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if I, I don't like referring him to that. It just sounds. <laughs> <like me. laughs> uh, he hates it. 
I'm sure he does. He strikes me as he has <laughs> always hated the nickname the boss. I'm not sure. I don't remember how he, the story behind how he got it. I assume it's from the E Street Band or from John Landau or something. And truly, if you look into Springsteen's career, Lando is probably better described as the boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's his manager and biggest promoter. Um, he's getting into the Hall of Fame whenever they have that ceremony. Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't it in, in uh, November, I want to say, like virtually? I think so. Like they're yeah. putting the presentation and they're putting it out on HBO Max. So. I basically have until then to get something that will play HBO Max on my television because I don't uh, feel yes. like watching it on my computer. No, no, it's not the same. Yeah. 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 No, I, I've heard he puts on one hell of a performance, like three oh, hours. and Legendary, legendary. And, yeah. He is like regarded as like one of the best live acts and like he brings that working class mentality to mm-hmm. his concerts and will sometimes play three, four hours and just not stop because he just doesn't want to get off the stage. Right. <laughs> and fans <laughs> just eat it up with a spoon. Oh, of course. So leading into now is the movie that we are getting together for, which really was, I think, one of the – you. well, I'll let you give your own opinion about it. But I know that you – it was one of the movie gems from last year for you. Mm-hmm. And the movie is Blinded by the Light. And – it's an interesting true story. So I, I have a, uh, a little synopsis here that I'm going to read. So it's a story of Javed, who's played by Vivek Kalra, and he's a Pakistani teenager living in 1980s England. His conservative family disapproves of his dream of being a writer, while also facing racism and economic strife. Through his friend Roops, Javed discovers the music of Bruce Springsteen, who immediately strikes a chord with Javed, and whose poetic words and iconic songs give him the confidence he needs to follow his dreams. So... This movie got a lot of hype last year. I remember seeing the trailer for it a lot when I went to movies last year. Um, and, it was, and it's such an interesting concept having a Pakistani teenager living in England, growing up in England, who is taken under the spell of... Uh, the most know, kind iconically of a, American artist of the time. Exactly, exactly. From this guy from Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and it's it's such an interesting hodgepodge of sensibilities there. And it, yeah, this movie got a lot of buzz and got a lot of promotion. And then it tanked at the box office. Mm. Um, but like yourself, it, it has quickly gained an audience who really, really love this movie. So yeah, I watched it for the first time just a couple of nights ago. But first, I want you to give you your thoughts on the movie first. Okay. Um, well, first of all, um, I'm currently in the process of uh, doing my 2019 final rankings, by which I mean probably the last time that I'm going to revisit that until, like, say, 2029 when I do a 10th year retrospective. Yeah. But um, Blinded by the Light comes in. It's my 14th favorite movie of 2019. Not bad. And 2019 was, in my opinion, a very, very stacked year as far mm-hmm. as great films. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like it. Um, it's not so much about Bruce Springsteen specifically as it is about the um, university universality of um, music and the impact it can have in someone's life. Yeah, it's really a coming of age story more than anything. It is. It is. It's if you think about it, like it could have been pretty much any artist that could have had this impact. Any meaningful artist could right. have had this kind of impact on him, but it just happens to be the the author happened to have been inspired by Bruce Springsteen. Right. So like, if you remember, like, I think the first song that you hear in the movie is actually the Pet Shop Boys. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's, it's not, 
it's not so much yeah it's a sin it's not so much a jukebox box musical but for me the key scene in the entire movie isn't him discovering bruce springsteen although when he's listening to um uh dancing in the dark and during the thunderstorm yeah that is an iconic scene or thunder road when he um uh falls in love with his girlfriend but I think that the most important scene in the film is when he goes to the the daytimer, I think it's called, when yes. mm-hmm. he takes his sister to the the Indian disco or Pakistani disco that's happening in um, in secret in uh, the secret club in the middle of the day. And what he does is he doesn't like connect to the music that he's listening to. Yeah. So he puts his headphones on and he starts listening to... Um, uh because the night mm-hmm. and um he starts well, dancing that i to always it. forget that bruce springsteen wrote by the way <laughs> well same with blinded by the light blinded by the light's yeah, more famous right. it's a man for man song yeah um but uh yeah patty smith did a famous cover of love um because the night and then later Ten Thousand maniacs and they're all three are excellent yes but so he's listening to this music and he's dancing and he's connecting but he sees other people connecting to the music that they're listening to and he decides to he takes the headphones off and then he listens to, he kind of like gets the sense of what they were vibing to. And then he starts vibing to that as well. I think that's where he learns that it's not just Bruce Springsteen specifically that Bruce Springsteen isn't the answer to all of his questions and problems that he has in his life, but that connecting to who he is as a person and learning what makes important to other people is also um, something that can be experienced through understanding their music. Yeah, that's really well said. It's it's really it goes just beyond surface level of oh, this artist impacted me. It's so much yeah. bigger than that, and that, that and this movie does really exemplify that a lot. Especially him being a writer, you know, that's mm-hmm. really it's not the same medium as music, obviously, but it's the same kind of artistic. Um, oh yeah, it's, it was still Bruce was still kind of his artistic muse in a lot of ways. Well, and he does write songs for his friend. Right, right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and his friend is another interesting character, somebody who's very much influenced by, you know, the pop and new wave music of the 1980s. Yeah. And somebody yeah. who who is inspired in the same way, but by something different, something that means more to him. And that's mm-hmm. why music is so hard to define. It's hard to pin down. Like when you said that, like, you didn't like Bruce Springsteen as much or you didn't think that he was like someone who was terribly important to you. It's just like, well, right. I mean, I understand that. I mean, you have different life experiences. So just because mm-hmm. it means more to me and it, he's not one of the most important artists in my life, but I, he's somebody I greatly appreciate. Right. But every single person is going to hear something in a different way and they find what moves them, what connects what they can connect to. And that means everything to them. And it might not mean anything to somebody else, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look at me with, I'm such a big fan of ABBA and most people like, you know, wince when they hear it, when they hear that name, you know what I mean? But it's the same kind of thing, you know, it's there. there. Kurt Cobain was a huge fan of ABBA. I mean, you you never know. But I mean, it's a lot of, he writes pop songs. Right. But it's a no. lot of kind of the the um, the it's, automatic baggage that comes with hearing a name like or the, or the automatic associations when you hear Springsteen's name that some people yeah. automatically assume or when you hear Abba's name that people automatically <laughs> assume, you know, well, it's the same kind of deal. See, yeah. People see a video from World Vision and they look ridiculous and it's like, I can't like that. Right. And, but right, if right. you just hear the song, it's like, OK, well, that's actually pretty good. 
right or, or hear you know the name of a song called you know honey honey it's like really <laughs> i'm not <laughs> mama mia as performed by the swedes right right <laughs> exactly <laughs> hey wait a minute <laughs> right right but it's but it's a lot all like conceptually it's all the same idea you know mm-hmm. so it, taking that this this movie is actually based on a true story it was written by um, it's written by a gentleman named uh, Sarfraz Manzur, who loosely based this on his own life experience. He's a you know a Pakistani gentleman who grew up in England and then ended up coming to America, and became obviously became very successful, mm-hmm. and um, that really adds another level to it as well. I'm gonna th- I'm gonna kick this off with a story that <laughs> I had mentioned. I think some people who are listening have probably already are already aware of what happened. So when I was watching this movie, there is. Um, there was a line that came up towards the end of the movie where um, the character of Javed, who's, you know, the stand in for uh, Sarvaz Manzur, the author, he's trying to get away from the family because his Pakistani family is very overprotective and very conservative and don't want him to study writing. They want him to become like a doctor or lawyer, you know, kind of the age old Mm -hmm. story. So towards the end, when they're having a big blowout, um, there's, there's, this moment where Javed looks at his dad because he wants to go, he wants to go to college in America. And he yells at him. He said, you know, I want to go to America in America. Nobody cares where you're from. And that that line kind of struck me. So I, I put a tweet and I, and I said, I'm watching blinded by the light. And I, they just said the line in America, nobody cares where you're from. And then I put a space. I wrote, LOL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's, you know, pretty much not the case in most parts of the country well, in many now. In, in, particularly now it really struck a nerve with me like the way the country is right now there's a lot of nationalism and that's a whole other thing so i kind of just innocently threw that out there because it was a line that made me laugh and so the following morning mr sarvaz Mansour himself responded <laughs> to that tweet yep <laughs> and I probably, I, I don't have the tweet open. I don't have Twitter open in front of me, but it was basically more or less like the black humor in that line was intentional. And I, you know, I'm aware that, you know, what America's like it. But back then when I was a teenager, that was the perception, especially in the eighties. That's how people thought of America around the world before they came over. And I do understand that that's not the case. And it was intended to be humorous like that. And so I, I responded back saying, you know, like, oh, you know, I totally understand. You have a really good point you know, thank you for responding, blah, blah, blah. And he never answered back, but he answered back other people in the same thread who were like, oh, this is a great movie. And I'm like, I think I just offended the writer of this movie without meaning to. Because <laughs> I never imagined he was going to actually, like, find my tweet. <laughs> no. Um, I didn't get the impression that he was offended by you. Um, just uh-huh. Maybe he just didn't think he needed to reply to your reply. I, I don't know. But, um, right. yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's very much. Um, I just felt really America, awkward yeah. after it, <laughs> like oh. uh, America perception versus reality, because right, they had their you know as is shown in the movie, they had their wave of uh, nationalism and the National Front and all of that um, right wing neo Nazis. <laughs> that sort of thing was more prevalent in England and Europe at the time than it was in the United States, but it was still yeah. very much present in the United States. Oh, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> now it's kind of everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot more yeah. noticeable. That's a lot more overt now. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah. that was my little that was my little story with that. I didn't want it to put out there now. <laughs> well, when you when you yeah. texted when you uh, when you texted me about that, um, I did look it up. Um, I googled his name, and um, when I looked on Twitter to find his name, like his reply to your um, your uh, your te- your tweet was like the top reply that came up in the search results, and that's probably because I'm friends with you on Twitter. But um, mm-hmm. uh, also, I don't know how often this uh, you know author tweets, but I yeah. have had that come across and I do, um, I do movie reviews, um, uh, just like little tweet reviews with, um, the limitations of a hundred or 280 or whatever characters you get. Yeah. So I post like clusters of 10 and I'm probably going to post another 10 tonight probably. Cause you know, I don't have anything else after this, uh-huh. but, um, I post out clusters of 10 and then every once in a while, just randomly the director or the writer, or sometimes like this a co-star or a star in the movie will just like you know, give me a like or um retweet the the review or you know tweet a reply that's um, really cool yeah there's um an independent film called thunder road and um he like you know the the guy who behind thunder road from a couple of years ago he um he's very much uh, promoting his movie kind of himself. He doesn't have a studio backing. So mm. like every good review that he gets, he really puts a lot of attention towards it and a, a lot of um, praise to the person who writes it. And then nice. the most recent example I can think of is I got um, the, the prayer emoji. Thank you. Prayer emoji from the uh, director of Miss Juneteenth. When, oh, wow. um, when I reviewed her movie a couple of months ago. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, you're just typing this on your computer wherever you are and you're not like tagging people and you're not, you know, you're not, you know, resending or retweeting or replying to anybody famous, but they might see because they might have their, you know, movie title flagged or something like that. Right. And they might really like or really hate what you have to say. (laughs) But I don't think of the algorithms. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think what you said was offensive. Um, and I don't think his reply made it sound like he was terribly offended by what you said. He just okay. kind of wanted to clarify, I think. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That does matter. I think it was because I felt so bad afterwards. Like, oh, he found yeah. what I said and I don't know how it came off. And, you know, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? Steven Van Zandt's going to break your kneecaps or something. I right. mean, <laughs> oh, he's <holy>. not, he's <laughs> not going to come after Nick for the stuff that he said uh, about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in replies to him. He's not going to come after you. <laughs> that, that's true. There's actually, a, <laughs> there was, <laughs> there's a similarly funny incident that happened with this podcast um, where it was, Oh gosh, it was maybe last year sometime I had covered the John and Yoko Netflix movie only Mm -hmm. uh, above us, only sky. And in the, in the podcast, the, um, the guy who was co-hosting with me, we kind of gave it a middling ish review. Like we weren't too impressed with the documentary and we were, you know, we kind of made our feelings pretty clear on the podcast. So I, you know, I, I posted every, you know, the day came out, I posted it, come listen to the podcast, everything. Well, the director of the documentary likes mm. and retweets the, the podcast link, say, oh, I can't wait to listen to this. Uh-oh. They're like, oh, um, you well, sure you, you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> were you like dunking on it? Did you think it was actively bad? It was, I wasn't dunking on it. It was more just like, eh, didn't really tell us that much. We didn't already <laughs> know. It was not that insightful. You know, it wasn't a lot of substance to it, that kind of thing. But yeah, you know, you you come across people who, you know, you tweet out the words blinded by the light and um, somebody who 
probably it's like looking for information about something that they wrote. They come across right, right. it or somebody, you know, somebody brings it to their attention and, um, yeah. Right. It well, happens. I do have to say, I was pretty revved up like a douche to do this episode. <laughs> <laughs> revved up like a douche. You know that's the, not the, the lyric, right? Oh, I know, I know, I know. But that's it. For many years, that's what people assumed he was saying in the in the Manfred Mann version. The Manfred Mann version absolutely sounds like that's what he's saying. Right, right. And Spruce has a quote where he's like, "Well, when we released that song, it wasn't a big hit. It was we released it as a single, and it was a huge bomb. And then uh, Manfred Mann releases it as a cover, and." It hits number one. So I guess like the only difference between our songs is that I said deuce and he said douche. And maybe I should have just said douche in the first place. Maybe I would have had a hit. I've never heard that. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. He's, he, he's, he has, he's some, some funny quotes sometimes. So getting back to that, I wanted to say that I really enjoyed the movie quite a bit. I, it was a little different than what I was expecting. Um, it reminded me it definitely echoes of movies like Sing Street that sort of thing. If I would have any criticism, it's not even a criticism. It's more just a personal taste thing. It, it did kind of veer into the, to the cheese category a yeah. little, little too much for my taste at times. Um, but it wasn't, it, it didn't ruin the film by any means. It did not, you know, I could get past that. I got the same impression that there, there were some scenes that seemed a little cheesy for a movie that has such an interesting premise. It was a mm. surprisingly unchallenging film. <laughs> Uh, at times at other times you know you're being attacked by skinheads (laughs) yeah that's true yeah yeah. i did i I noticed that there were some truly cheesy moments and some lines that just kind of landed like you know like a thud with a thud yeah Um, they quote a springsteen lyric and it'd just be like a meaningful moment in their life it's like okay yeah that fits but that's not really how people talk incredibly Uh, on the nose yeah (laughs) yeah incredibly on the nose but I didn't really pick up on that when I saw it on the big screen. I only saw mm-hmm. that the second time when I was watching it on my television. Um, because when you're watching on the big screen and you don't know what to expect, you are kind of washed over by like the scope of some of these things. The, the, right. the first musical scene, um, Dancing in the Dark, where he's um, out in the thunderstorm and the, the, the words, the lyrics of the song are being projected onto the, the giant wall that he's dancing next to. It's very powerful or the musical number for uh, Thunder Road is another example mm. where it's just like it's out of the blue and it's just like you just overcome and you're just like you're smiling so hard you don't realize how corny some of this is. Right, right. <laughs> it, there was a lot of criticism that I read about those scenes, you know, people who, who thought yeah. that, that projecting the lyrics on the screen was overkill and that and there was another criticism I read that that it didn't commit hard enough to the jukebox musical aesthetic, which I thought mm. was kind of silly. Um, it's not a you jukebox know, I, music. Uh, right, right. But I think, <laughs> but it came off as like jukebox musical adjacent, I guess maybe you could say. But um, the people who were expecting something and then they were upset that they didn't get it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I didn't have really have a problem with that stuff. It wasn't that that those moments I thought were some of the better stuff in the film. This movie had a little bit of a handicap in the sense that I generally don't love coming of age stories all that much so some of the like more melodramatic moments about having to find himself and what would my life be like if i didn't have my parents like the some of that melodramatic stuff kind of fell Mm -hmm. flat for me just because i I generally tend to not like that kind of (laughs) plot (laughs) or that kind of story doesn't necessarily appeal to me all that much but i liked i liked the musical sequence 
performances quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I thought they were really inspired and very, um, pretty cleverly done. And not, I didn't think they were ham-fisted in any way. No, they they definitely weren't ham-fisted in my opinion. Right. Yeah, but you were kind of expecting it to be a jukebox musical, weren't you? Yeah, I wasn't 100% sure what it was going to be getting into because I I had seen Sing Street, so I kind of thought it would be more of like that jukeboxy thing with Mm -hmm. maybe more elaborate dance numbers and where they would burst into song and things like that. And I, but I'm, I'm sort of glad they pulled away from that a little bit, gave it more of a sense of realism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, sing street is a, an amazing movie as well, mm-hmm. but um, it is very much more of like, um, well, I suppose the, it's kind of more like the story of the, um, his friend who's, yeah, you know, yeah, starting if, if, if he was a, you know, a better musician. <laughs> um <laughs> And it's like more new wavy, more. I can't. I, it's been a while since I've seen Sing Street, but it's more like um, Duran Duran and um, like um, new wave, uh, pop new wave type of music, right? That really inspires and moves him, and mm-hmm. uh, they make their own, and of course, you know, follow the track of like a uh, successful new wave band in like the nineteen eighties. So, right, and this was more artist specific. Yeah, more. And more working class. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, non-white, honestly. Yeah. Can we talk about some of those scenes that I thought were my favorite scenes in the movie were the scenes where it showed him up against, you know, the the, the racism and the bullying and and showed what their family was up against. I thought the movie, I thought Blinded by the Light did that really well. It wasn't, it wasn't preachy. It wasn't overdone. Um, It really made you feel for these people in such an intense way that I, I thought that yeah, the, um, I what that I wasn't expecting at all. The kids peeing in the mailbox. Yeah. And yeah. That being something that they have to live with because that's mm-hmm. just apparently the people in the neighborhood have decided that that's an acceptable thing to happen. Right. Nobody even thinks twice about it. Yeah. It's just the overt racism present there that you think that you could just break into someone's home like that and fucking vandalize it. And it's children doing it no less, which means that their parents taught them that it's okay to do that. And Mm -hmm. it's just. And the scene, the other scene that I, that was really effective for me was the scene in the diner when they're just, just hanging out, minding their own business. Yeah. And the, those three douchebags walk over, right, right. Walk over and Mm -hmm. basically force them out of their seat and sitting, you know, several seats away from them. That yeah. was what I liked about that scene is it didn't drag it on too long. It it, it really felt authentic. You know, they, mm-hmm. the the scene carried on for a while before that happened, and then just out of the clear blue, these people come out of nowhere and exactly. send them on their way. Because that's how it would really happen in real life. It wasn't, you know. Yeah, the parallels between you know America having its economic um, problems in the eighties and the under Reagan and the problems that England is having under Thatcher, where people are just kind of being ground down and um, the, the corporation, the, the mass layoffs and smaller towns are suffering endlessly. It, it, it really sells how this um, experience that's being described by Springsteen's music is like a universal experience. Whereas Bruce Springsteen might not be singing the, uh, you know, the Pakistani Indian music that um, their family grows up listening to, but that doesn't mean that um the experiences that they have aren't something that they can relate to. I mean, it's funny when his, his dad is describing like Bruce Springsteen. Well, first of all, he thinks he's Jewish. Which, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, but but keep in mind, keep in mind, he says earlier in the movie that follow the Jews, like the Jew, he really admires Jewish people. He thinks they're hardworking and successful. So right. it's not a bad thing, but, <laughs> and then he, you know, he listens to it and he listens to it, gets like the message and he, are you sure Bruce Springsteen isn't Pakistani? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> And it's a little corny, but I mean, it is very much, you know, like what I think is like the the message of the film about the universality of uh, some of these, um, the universal nature of some of, you know, certain types of music. Like, and you never yeah, know, because there might be like something that you absolutely love, but you've never heard it because you didn't grow up with it. And your culture doesn't, you know, listen to that type of music. And you never know when you're going to find something like that. Again, very authentic in the way it, it kind of integrated the, the traditional Pakistani music as well and how it contrasted it with the music that, um, you know, the, um, Javed was listening to. He learned to connect to his own, mu- his own culture's music, you know, by translating the experience that he has listening to a Springsteen song into the experience other people is having. And yeah. 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 That works really, really well. Definitely. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, one character that I'm, I'm, not sure a hundred percent worked for me was uh, the character was Eliza who was played by Nell Williams, who was kind of his love interest. I don't know that I found her as fully fledged as I would have liked her no. to make a believable love story for him. That makes sense. Um, I, they didn't really give her a lot of screen time. She wasn't yeah. given a lot of character moments. Um, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, yeah. When they, the scenes where they, you know they visit he has dinner with um her family i thought was pretty mm. good yeah yeah that was good i thought that that's the, like the, the ignorance yeah. on display <laughs> yeah and that's like you know that's the sort of thing that you'd see in get out or some a movie like that where it's just like yeah these are somewhat well-meaning people but they're also really affluent and they don't really understand any culture other than their own right and and it, when all is said and done they don't really even care. <laughs> but you, and yeah, it's like um, the, the cartoon, the boondocks, um, they did a famous scene where Huey goes to um, visit uh, this part, goes to a party that's held by a bunch of rich people. Mm-hmm. And he's like dropping like Reagan has six letters. Ronald has six letters and something else. His middle name has six letters, six, six, six. Oh, that's the yeah. devil. And they're, like, <laughs> they're just chuckling and laughing along. It's like, ah, it doesn't matter. They're too rich to care. <laughs> exactly so i think it's that you know it's that once you get to a certain point of affluence it's like yeah hey you know what i might not agree with what you're saying but i don't really care really because care. it's not yeah. gonna affect me right but exactly. I, I think that that really helped to like flesh out her character is like showing where she comes from mm-hmm. how she's like an open-minded tolerant person who was raised by those people and that's why she kind of is the way that she is as an activist right but she's not given enough um, screen time to really be like a, a co-star character. Yeah. And I think that's maybe why the whole romance between them kind of fell a little bit flat yeah. for me. I mean, there's a lot of scenes where, you know, she's in the background while he's experiencing things and you can see that she's interested in paying attention and why they would connect, mm-hmm. but uh, she's not given enough screen time to really truly sell her as um, like, um, a truly fleshed out uh, love interest. I don't think. 
doesn't have the best female characters in the world, <laughs> but I mean, it doesn't um, really need to have that. Is, I don't think his family. I think the female characters are pretty well developed. It's for the two mm-hmm. of them that have like focus scenes. The mother in particular has that really good, um, a couple of really good speeches um, with mm. the father. Yeah, that's I mean, true. Yeah. That's something that doesn't even need to be in the movie necessarily, but it really, really helps to establish the family characters. Right, right. Yeah. And the sister, of course, the sister, um, the scene at the uh, the dance club is very important. I thought it was kind of interesting how he was not really that afraid to show a warts and all portrayal of himself as a mm-hmm. character in this movie, particularly towards the end of the film when uh, during with the wedding. <laughs> uh, yeah. When he decides that he wants to go and buy Bruce Springsteen tickets instead of showing up to the wedding mm-hmm. was a little bit troubling. <laughs> well, it wasn't that he decided not to show up for the wedding. It's just that he took a detour at like the worst possible moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of kind of made it seem a little bit like he consciously made that choice at least that's the way i thought the movie kind of showed it um yeah but he didn't know his father was going to be attacked by a mob right 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 yeah that that's true also i'm pretty sure that he was just gonna he was still planning to go to the wedding i mean it doesn't take long to buy tickets yeah that's true i I know eliza has this big this big moment with him where she you know chastises him for abandoning Mm -hmm. them that's just a kid making a dumb decision at the worst possible time but it also serves as like you know the climax where he realizes that there's there's more to you know life that he has more obligations and more um responsibilities than just this this one artist of course the irony is is that they had so many tickets that it wouldn't have mattered it was the, like he thought it was going to be close to sold out and she's got a handful of tickets just like <laughs> you know nobody wants these so <laughs> here have at it yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so it probably wasn't necessary for him to do that but i mean it's only significant because that happened when it did. And if it didn't happen, I don't think anybody would have even noticed. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I did think the scene following that, where it showed everything, you know, kind of the aftermath of the attack yeah. was, was very good. It was very well done. Yeah. There is the, the part where, well, he goes uh, to America and mm-hmm. um, he like tours like famous places that the boss went. And then there's the, uh, the big, speech at the end where he decides not to read his um his uh essay about luton um yes. so that's kind of the climax of the film and that was um powerful but at the same time a little hollywood cheesy <laughs> yeah. you know the way that it came together like that and they're all right. there and and the, I the, mean, the music swells and everybody's yeah, like yeah yeah it's a bit <laughs> much, the strings I, you know it's it's meant to you know it's emotionally manipulative, but not in like a horribly offensive way. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's a schmaltzy, sometimes cheesy feel good movie, but right. um, it's also got some very powerful moments in it. Oh, absolutely. One thing I, I was really glad they didn't do was make Mrs. Clay kind of like a white savior figure, which I, right. they could have very easily done because I thought it was I leaning could've... in that direction towards the beginning. I was like, Oh, where, <laughs> where is this going? But they didn't at all. In no. fact, her character kind of disappears halfway through the film. Yeah, um, she probably, it's very similar to the role that she played in Javid's life. I mean, yeah, she was a teacher who kind of inspired him and did some things that really helped him along the way. But she wasn't like interfering with his life or you know, mm. trying to fix his problems. Right, right. 
I mean, more of like a counselor sort of uh, relationship. Mm. This is what I can do to help you, but you basically, you have to still solve your problems yourself. Yeah, and that's, um, what's her name? Uh, the, the actress that played her? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was Haley Atwell? Haley Atwell, yes. Yeah. She was uh, Miss Carter in um, the Avengers movies and uh, the TV oh, series. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's yes, an excellent right. TV series. Yeah, she has quite a, quite a resume. She's one of those actresses, I think you see her and you recognize her, but doesn't have a lot of name recognition yeah i think she's probably probably in like a lot of shows on the bbc or something like that Mm -hmm. but um you did mention at the beginning that you talked about the box office yes yeah yeah now uh one movie that i haven't compared this to yet was a movie that came out um earlier in 2019 before blinded by the light came out and that's um danny boyle's movie yesterday oh yes (laughs) yesterday is a movie that's um it's set in a world where a musician who ironically, I believe he, I believe his character, his actor is actually Indian, not Pakistani, but yes, he, um, he gets a concussion or something and wakes up in a world where nobody remembers the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Now this movie was a significant box office hit, right? But it's nowhere Mm -hmm. near as good in my opinion. No, in my opinion as well. (laughs) No, I think it's just a very cheesy, uh, kind of ham fisted sort of thing. And the, 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 uh, the John Lennon thing doesn't bother me at all. It seemed like a logical way for the movie, the story to go. And I don't really lionize John Lennon to the point where seeing him on screen, even though he's dead in real life, you know, <laughs> means anything to me. Right. <laughs> um, but um, uh, uh, I just, I can't, I am always going to compare these two movies because one is kind of like a semi Hollywood production by an Oscar winning director and I expected it to be so much better, whereas Blinded by the Light is like an indie film directed by the uh, the director whose other most famous movie is Bend It Like Beckham, which is a Gruinder cult Chata. favorite. Yeah. A cult favorite, but mm-hmm. very much a small indie film that very few people have ever seen. But right. the people who do see it generally like it. So one is a box office hit, and the other one just kind of fizzles out. But I don't think Blinded by the Light was ever expected to really be like a big box office hit even on like the 50 million scale that uh mm. that uh, yesterday hit right i yeah i just remember seeing a lot of trailers for this at the movies a lot and oh, again yeah? commercials on tv yeah i don't know if maybe it was just a regional thing but yeah it seemed well, to be yeah, a lot of right. a lot of um a lot of promo leading up to its release so that's true you, yeah you do live in springsteen country at least that's at least true yeah <laughs> um but he's got a big following in the midwest too so yeah but that's yeah, an interesting I, yesterday comparison because that that movie actually didn't cross my mind. You know what movie I kept kind of comparing this one to was Rocket Man. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, with a lot I, of like I, the fantasy esque uh, musical sequences and things like that. That is more of a jukebox musical, but at the same right. time, it's not a tribute to Elton John so much as it's Elton John's biography. Right, and the, and I think this is also more of a biographical film as well, which made which reminded me a little bit of Rocket Man. I think it, if 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 we were to rank um, those three on a personal scale of my personal favorites of the three, I would probably put Rocket Man at the top, then this one, and then Yesterday at the bottom. This one would be in the middle for me. I would put Blinded by the Light ahead of Rocket Man, but I really do enjoy Rocket Man a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that one surprised me. I'll, I'll throw a little plug. If you everybody has not heard the Rocketman episode I've done, you can download that as well. Uh, <laughs> um, it's the anti-Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one I, that one doesn't even belong on the list anywhere. 
<laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I that's the one that I kept thinking of. Yesterday it didn't even cross my mind, to be honest with you, but that's a good mm. comparison as well. And that's a really good point you made, that it was a much bigger success. And I wonder, too, if it's also just the, the perennial appeal of the Beatles also yeah, being a factor in that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a story about, you know, more famous, more famous director, more famous actors were starring in the movie. Uh, right. Keira Knightley is in that, I believe. Uh, and... Lily James. Lily yeah. James. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Ed Sheeran. And, uh, more. Yeah. <laughs> Ed Sheeran is hilarious in that movie. Yeah, though. he is. <laughs> I get it. You're Mozart. I'm Salieri. Fine. <laughs> but um, it had so much more going for it. Whereas this movie is, well, it's about Pakistanis in England and right. um, it's, you know, during the eighties. So it had a lot more and it doesn't have the Bruce Springsteen is huge, but he's not the Beatles huge. Yeah. And he's not as universally embraced as the Beatles are. The Beatles, that movie yesterday had so much an easier way of using your marketing campaign. Yes, like instead yeah. of this is the story of an outsider learning his place in the world and learning what he wants from the world. Yesterday right. is what if you hit your head and you're the only person woke up in a world where you're the only person <laughs> who remembered the Beatles, but yeah. um, blinded by the light doesn't have that problem. It has some cheesy moments. There's no doubt about that, but yeah. um, it's kind of like all in service of, you know, telling a coming of age story. You're going to, usually going to have cheesy moments right if you're a fan of springsteen and coming of age films um then this is definitely oh. a must see like it's this will hit a real sweet spot for you there's that one juxtaposition that i thought was just fantastic i think it's right after when they're you know running around um singing uh falling in love and singing thunder road doesn't mm. it like immediately smash cut to the uh, the pig's head at the um the mosque oh yeah yeah oh, that was fantastic that was really cool yeah it's that was like you're in this high moment. fantasy moment and then it jerks you right back down to reality oh, right I loved it. right yeah i think we touched up on everything yeah like we said um gurinder chada is a director and she also directed um the now cult classic bandit light beckham she has a few other films in her resume but this is probably now up there with that with Bend It Like Beckham is her two most yeah, popular movies, probably. I would say. If sure. you don't make it big as an indie director, you kind of, you know, just kind of fall into the ranks. Right, right. But she's really made her presence known. And, mm -hmm. um, and you know, outside of Bruce Springsteen, this does have a pretty cool soundtrack with AHA and the Pet Shop Boys. You know, some of the more some of the traditional Pakistani music, which I which I dig. I think it's I oh, think yeah. it's good music. I think we pretty much covered everything. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, um, that, that I maybe missed or that you wanted no, to get into at all? Nothing springs to mind, really. Nothing Springsteen's to mind? <laughs> yeah, I caught that. <laughs> I like you're probably just waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I just like, oh, shoot. What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, I definitely do recommend it. Yeah, it's it's. Oh, uh, highly recommended. Yeah, absolutely. And, and rock fans in particular. I think we'll, we'll uh, really we'll really appreciate this. And I'll probably take some flack for some of the movies that it's ranked ahead of, kind of oh, from every angle. Oh. Like it, it's ahead of Little Women and Joker. So I'm gonna if if this ever gains like a my rankings for the year gains attention, I'll probably oh, hear wow. about it. I would definitely quarter. not rank this above Little Women, but I would rank it above Joker. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's more than fair. So this was this was great. And also everybody go and listen to some Bruce Springsteen. We gave you some some good starting points, I think in his catalog. And um, also I think what I'm going to do, if it's okay with Mary from the hall watchers po uh, podcast, she just sent me a Bruce Springsteen 
starter kit playlist that you made on Spotify. Nice. And so I think I'm going to post that in the show notes. So if anybody wants to start there, um, she, you know, included things like Wrecking Ball. A lot of hers has a lot of his newer stuff in there. So that's pretty cool. Oh. Let's do a little promoting. Um, where, where can people find you on social media and all that jazz? Okay, for, so mostly uh, most of the stuff that I do on social media is on Twitter, which is um, my handle is HeinzD24. That's H-I-N-E-S-D and then the number 24. Uh, I've got a um, daily uh, film director's poll where I post uh, three directors, um, great film directors, and then whoever gets uh, wins gets inducted into the Film Directors Hall mm-hmm. of Fame. It's just like a project so I can honor a great director every day. Um, That's awesome. I, I tweet movie reviews. Um, I'm really far behind on my backlog, but usually when I get time to do it, I'll tweet out a cluster of uh, 10 reviews at a time. Um, usually give a grade to it and like post the uh, the poster and the tweets. So it's uh, something I like to just do for fun. And um, some people who follow me really, really enjoy reading them. And uh, Sometimes they turn into discussions, and uh, that's always appreciated. If you want to hear my other podcast, it's um, uh, Fat Dude Digs Flicks, and that's also on iTunes. You can find me at Twitter at Movies at Rock Pod, and at my email address for the show is Movies at Rock Pod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on my personal boring Twitter handle <laughs> and see the, uh, the Blinded by the Light um, exchange that took place, Last week, you can follow me at Josh F618. You know, I'm on there usually every single day. So if you want to say hi, you can contact me that way or send me an email, whatever is best for you. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Darren, for taking the time out of your day to do this. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. See you later, Darren. Have a good one. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. Talk to you later, man. Well, you want to get rid of me? Why? Because I'm old? <laughs> Money gets back. I'm all right, Jack.